All right, how is everybody? Good, good to see um, you all. So uh, we are um, going through John's Gospel. We've been doing that now for some weeks, and um, I uh, want to look at a few verses today, but it's also um, Christmas season, of course, and so we're going to talk a little bit about that, and that's where we're going to start. So a uh, couple more Christmas jokes. For Christmas, I bought my wife a world map and gave her a dart. I told her to throw it, and wherever it landed, we would go on vacation there as soon as we could. Turns out, we are spending two weeks behind the fridge. Some of you will appreciate this. What Christmas song do they sing in the psychiatric hospital? Do you see what I see? <clears throat> Why is Christmas like your job? You do all the work and a fat man in the suit gets the credit. All right, so here's our question for today. We're going to have a little fun today. Uh, share a Christmas memory from childhood. Um, so uh, we're, I've left a little time so we can uh, kind of hear from some of you if we're brief today. If you'd like to share, i um, love to hear from a number of you. So you get these guys' attention. Stand up, maybe share your name, speak directly in the mic, give us a brief answer. We're going to start with Jason, and then we'll go to Tom. Um, I first thing that came to my mind is my godfather, Jim. He, he's with the Lord. But he used to give me bricks. And I, I, I'd have to, individual bricks. And I'd be so excited because it weighed so much. So I figured there was something in there. And he'd also take um, empty um, Christmas wrapping, the, the tubes, and stack them with a bunch of paper, toilet paper, and a $100 bill or a $20 bill. So I'd have to sit there and dig through literally each one. So it was, huh. it was pretty cool. Thanks, Jason. I'm Tom. Uh, I'm kind of old, but when I was a kid, we had one-room schoolhouses in my area, and so I remember standing up on a stage like this here, and there might be 30 or 40 parents out in the in the um, audience out there, and you'd be singing all the, the old-time Christmas carols and stuff. And seriously, you get a brown paper bag with some peanuts in the bottom, an apple yep. or an orange, and some hard candy. Yo, ho, ho. Yeah. <laughs> That's my Christmas memory. Yeah, I remember it well. Hi, I'm Heather. Uh, we grew up pretty poor, being a very large family. And my best Christmas memory, we weren't going to have a Christmas because it was that bad. And unbeknownst to us, my great-grandma had sent on the rail car a big barrel full of gifts for all of us kids and for my parents. And so we got Afghans and all kinds of things, and we had a Merry Christmas because my grandmother gave so selflessly. Hmm. Thank you, Heather. <clears throat> uh, my name is Samantha, and I grew up with three siblings, <clears throat> and we were always very sneaky, and we would try to like unwrap our presents and figure out what we were getting. And so my mom started to, instead of putting our names, she would just put numbers. So we didn't know whose number was whose so that we would stop digging through our presents. So. <laughs> Thank you, Samantha. Hello, everyone. I'm Dan. One of the most memorable Christmases I have was when I was five years old. I lived right down the street here. 
and like Heather, we didn't have much. And uh, but we had this huge table. My grandmother had always said, "Oh, it's last year my grandmother was with us," and I had the whole Christmas uh, town and village and everything on it. And then uh, that year also was the first year that uh, the Salvation Army brought us presents. Otherwise, we would have had no presents under the tree. But I still remember the pickup pulling up in front and the three guys getting out of the pickup and just so happily and merrily bringing us presents. And it was just so amazing. This is something mm. I'll never forget. Thanks. Very cool. Thank you. All right. My name is Anita, and um, Jonah's my son. I'm visiting with him. But when he was a little boy... It was just me and him in the house, and um, we would make Christmas ornaments just out of lace and the different color balls and stuff. But um, we made it a tradition, and I'm hoping he can carry it on with his little girl. We would sleep under the tree um, and huh. wait on Santa to come. So. All right. Very cool. Uh, when my grandmother did a home movie when we were uh, babies. I think I was like two, and my older brother was like three. I got my toy, my toy stuffed in a Christmas tree, and my brother threw it in there. And as you can see in the, in the whole movie, I pulled the whole tree down. Uh, <laughs> I can picture it, Mikey. Thank you. <laughs> All right, we got uh, at least one more here. Good morning. My name is Lynn. Um, <clears throat> my mother was a single mother with uh, myself and my brother. And so we didn't have much either, but we heard about fruitcake, and we wanted some, and we bugged her and bugged her to, you know, get us or make us fruitcake. Well, she didn't have the funds to do that, so she made banana bread, put chocolate chips, red cherries, and green cherries and nuts in it, and called it fruitcake. And we loved it, and she continued to do that every year to make us our fruitcake. Sounds better than fruitcake, honestly, yeah. <laughs> Anybody else got time for one more? Anybody else want to share? Richard, we'll wrap up with Richard here. You have to uh, imagine the nativity scene that we had at the front of the church with all the animals, baby Jesus. <clears throat> My grandparents' oldest son, that wasn't the brightest in the family, uh, was asked, well, what do you see, Joe? He says, a brain jackass. Thank you for that very inspiring story, Richard. <laughs> I love our Lighthouse family. For I uh, thank you for, for uh, sharing. It's, uh, both services today so far have been really um, interesting. You know, we, we all have memories from this season. And, um, you know, some of them are good. Maybe some of them are not so good. Um, I grew up in Bismarck, and I too, of course, have memories from childhood Christmases. Um, most years, it was just my family, my mom and dad, and uh, we four siblings. And uh, there were years that my grandma had joined us, but uh, there weren't very many when she was around. My parents um, had a very modest income, and the Christmas celebration was also very modest. Um, my parents, one of the greatest gifts I ever got, my parents taught us kids as we left the home to feel free to develop our own Christmas traditions. It was one of the best gifts that they could ever give us. 
Um, I remember things from childhood. Food was important, of course. Although the interesting thing is uh, we always have the same thing on Christmas Eve in my house now, but we didn't when I was growing up. Um, My mom liked to cook or was a good cook, but she mixed it up. So one year we might have lasagna, another year meat and potatoes, another year frozen pizza. You just never knew what it was going to be. But it was always something good. Um, I remember the sweets, though. That's really what I remember the most. My mom um, made the best candied, salty, burnt peanuts that um, I've ever had. I still miss those. She would, oh, yeah, it was great. And she made good fudge, um, very, very good fudge. Um, Music was important in the family I grew up in. Still is for me today. I love Christmas music. It's kind of one of the reasons we're going to sing some Christmas songs um, on Christmas Day. Um, I, you know, I, I remember on Christmas Day gathering around the piano, and my mom would play a little piano, and we would sing Christmas carols. Um, but um, my parents' Christmas tree was my biggest memory. And uh, some of you over the years um, have heard me tell this story, but um, it's really one of my most fond memories of childhood Christmases. Um, my, so I, I tell people all the time that I'm frugal. My dad was cheap. And um, they had an artificial Christmas tree. And back in those days, artificial Christmas trees were a lot different. You know, they had these, you had to put like every branch in and hook it in. And, uh, and so over time, it would kind of become, you know, worn down a little bit and bare. And um, my dad, instead of deciding it's time to get a new artificial Christmas tree, he would just move the little brackets that you would put it in, and then he would saw off the, the tree itself. So um, by the end, the tree was still just as big around as it always had been, but it stood about this tall. Um, ugliest thing you'd ever seen. Um, My wife Beth and I um, have been married for 40 years. I've shared that before. And so we've had a lot of Christmases together. Um, And we've had a lot of Christmases together with her family. Her family has done different traditions and grew up a little different than I did. Um, And, uh, of course, I shared just a a few moments ago that that Beth's dad um, passed away this last week. Um, And so family is on my mind, and I know it is for a lot of people at holiday time. Um, I'm going to talk about my father-in-law, Russell, um, a little bit later. But I realized this week, um, and I I told Beth, this kind of was an odd revelation, that literally my father-in-law, Russ, um, has been my father-in-law as long as my dad was my dad on this earth. Uh, Because my dad's been gone lots of years. And so um, Russell was pretty important to me too. And um, I, um, you know, will miss him and, you know, want to share a little bit about him uh, in the service. Uh, In some ways, I realize that holiday time magnifies our losses. Uh, A Christmas doesn't pass without me thinking about my mom and dad. Um, How much how much I would love to see them again, um, talk with them. But Christmas also reminds me that one day I will talk with them and I will see them again. It's also true that the memories make me grateful not only 
uh, for their presence in my life, um, but that in Jesus we're going to be together again. And so um, I know if you are kind of thinking about people that you have lost this holiday season, um, life goes on, doesn't it? Uh, Life goes on, and frankly, our loved ones would want it to. Um, So we're going to spend a little time in John's Gospel as well today. Um, In John's Gospel, uh, we have finished the prologue, the introduction, uh, this beautiful introduction of who Jesus is. Um, And uh, I just want you to know that's kind of why John writes. He's trying to introduce us to Jesus. And he's going to give us a lot of different names and um, ideas or understandings of who Jesus is. We're going to see that today. Uh, But when we went through the prologue, um, those first verses, 18 verses, um, we've already learned that that Jesus um, is the Word. And if you were here with us way back when, when we got started, we we talked about how this meant uh, to the people in Jesus' day that Jesus um, always had been and always will be, but that he also is the one who holds things together. If you've ever felt like you can't hold your life together, I know I have, um, what we learn is that Jesus can hold our life together. We also learn that Jesus is the light, and we're going to learn about that again uh, later in John's gospel, but um, Literally, John says that the light of Jesus extinguishes darkness, if you've ever walked in darkness, and I know most of us here have. Um, Jesus brings light into our darkness and then begins to guide our life. Um, We also learn that Jesus was divine and and he became a human being. He took on flesh. Uh, The theological word for that is incarnation. And what it means is that that God is with us and that, um, you know, God understands what it is we're going through. So we talked about that um, as well. Uh, last week we, we talked about how we receive grace from uh, this Savior, this, this Lord who has come in our lives, that, that we um, receive his love and his forgiveness um, as an unconditional gift. His love and acceptance, it's given to you and me just as a free gift to receive. And then a couple of weeks ago, we also talked about John the Baptist, and we said that he was a messenger uh, meant to prepare the way for the Messiah. Uh, messengers were common in the Bible back then. We uh, talked about that. And uh, today we're going to hear John the Baptist teach us something important um, about Jesus' identity and something that John, in his gospel, wants us to know about Jesus, and I think it's very appropriate for the season. So turn to John chapter 1. We've got some page numbers up there on the screen. John chapter 1. There should be a Bible around you if you don't have one yourself, and I would like to read a few verses, um, and then we're going to talk about one of them in particular. Verse 29 is where we're going to start. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Look, the Lamb of God, say Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. He is the one I was talking about when I said, A man is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. I did not recognize him as the Messiah, but I've been baptizing with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. 
Then John testified, I saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove from heaven and resting upon him. I didn't know he was, I didn't know he was the one, but when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me, the one with whom the Spirit descends and rests is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And I saw this happen to Jesus. So I testify, he is the chosen one of God. Um, so John the Baptist, uh, we meet again here. And um, I really want to spend a little time talking about uh, the second half of verse 29, where uh, John the Baptist says, Look, remember he's a messenger, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Look, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Um, If you are new to the Bible, uh, that may seem like an odd reference. I mean, we learn that Jesus is like the good shepherd. And so now he's being talked about as a lamb. Um, all these images that keep getting thrown at us. Um, and, and if Jesus is referred to as a lamb, um, that may seem a little bit odd, especially if we're, we're new to the Bible. Um, but what I want you to know today is that it would have made great sense to the people that John was speaking to some 2,000 years ago. And to understand what John was saying by Jesus being the Lamb of God, you have to understand a little bit of the Old Testament. And you have to understand a little bit about the sacrificial system of forgiveness that they practiced in the Old Testament, and the Jewish people in Israel practiced in Jesus' day. So we're going to talk about that for a few minutes, all right? So uh, if you go back um, in the Bible, all the way to the second book of the Bible, uh, the second book of the Bible is a book called Exodus. And um, it tells the story of the Israelites in slavery in Egypt. Now, you probably know this story, even if you've never read it, because it's been, there have been movies made about it. Um, Disney has spent you know, some money making a, a movie about it. And um, literally, it is a pretty interesting story. So the story says that God called this man by the name of Moses to go to Egypt and to lead the people out of Egypt, out of slavery, back to the promised land of Israel. And so his job was to go to Pharaoh, the king, and tell him, let my people go. Pharaoh wasn't interested in letting all of his slaves go. And so as the story goes, um, there's these plagues that get sent upon the people that are just horrible. Um, And that's where the story kind of gets a little interesting, like all the water turns to blood for a while, and there's, there's like... Frogs is one of the plagues. Frogs everywhere. You open a cupboard and there's frogs. Um, and then there's gnats everywhere, like all, ar- all around you. And, um, you know, and, you know, you're kind of itching all the time. And um, none of those plagues really worked until the last plague. There were 10 of them. And the last plague was that, that um, God was going to send an angel of death that would visit every household and take the firstborn in the house. How many of you are a firstborn? Look around and you can see how many of us would have been gone that night. Uh, And so um, if you were a firstborn, um, your life would have been taken. That was the last plague. 
And uh, that, that did it. Um, that, um, that solved the problem, and Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt. Now, here's the deal. So, did he take the, the firstborn of all the Israelites? Um, well, no, he didn't. God sent um, a way for them to, to be saved. And so what he told the Israelites, Moses told the, the Jewish people, that, that here's what you need to do. You need to take a lamb, you need to slaughter the lamb, you need to take um, the blood of that lamb, and you put it around the doorpost, you know, right around the doorpost of your front door. And so when the angel of death would come by, um, the angel would see that blood and he would pass over or pass by that house. And uh, it's, a, it's a really interesting story. Um, it's one that is, you know, you know kind of core to our understanding of the Bible. Um, and one of the things that it teaches us that is consistent throughout the Bible is that in order for life to be saved, um, blood would need to be shed. And in order for life to be saved, a lamb, um, in this instance, would take the place of the firstborn in that household. That the lamb's sacrifice would protect that household and save life. After that event, the Israelites returned to Egypt, and according to Scripture, there's a sacrificial system by which the people of Israel would um, find forgiveness of their sins. In order to be forgiven, you would bring an animal to be sacrificed at the temple. Um, it was not a good period of time to be an animal in Israel, at least certain ones, because you would be sacrificed in the temple for the life and the forgiveness of an individual person. And in fact, um, in Jesus' day, every morning and every night, um, there was a sacrifice of a lamb on behalf of all of Israel in the temple. Because not everybody could make it to the temple, of course, that day. And so every morning, every night, there'd be a sacrificial lamb. Once a year, on the Day of Atonement, an unblemished lamb was sacrificed on behalf of all of Israel. It covered all the sins of God's people. So it wasn't a great place to be a lamb. When John the Baptist came and he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, this is what he was talking about. The people right away remembered the blood over the doorpost in the story of Exodus. They remembered the sacrifice that would happen on behalf of their sin by which they would receive God's forgiveness and grace every day. And we realize when John the Baptist says this, John is pointing or foreshadowing the death and resurrection of Jesus, not just for Israel, but for the whole world. And so it's consistent with all of Scripture. Um, what John is doing is he's pointing to the reason why Jesus came, why Jesus entered the world in the first place that he came not just to be born, but to die as well for you and for me. In fact, John records in just a few verses words of Jesus where Jesus says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. What he wants you to know is that in Jesus, um, you can be confident 
of your salvation and your forgiveness. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is sharing, demonstrating God's unconditional love for you and for me. That's why Jesus came. It's like it was God's plan all along. He's known you from before time. He's known you from a, from a moment before you were conceived, before you were born, and before you took your first breath. He created you. He knows the good things in your life, and he knows the struggles. He knows the difficulties. He knows the life-controlling issues you and I deal with. He knows the sins that we have committed, the mistakes that we have made. He knows the ways that we have hurt ourselves and we have hurt others. And still he loves you. That's what this is all about. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. God knows. He understands. He's doing it on our behalf. It's a great promise. God loves you just unconditionally, just as you are. Jesus came to make a home and a life with you. He's not going anywhere. He loves you. He saves you. And promises that even though death will come in this life, for you and I will one day take our last breath. In Jesus, it is but a passageway from this life into the next eternity with our loving Father and with our loved ones. All right, so um, let me tell you a little bit about Russ Grabinger. Um, His picture is going to be up on the screen. This is Russ and Jan, um, my in-laws. And uh, this is from quite a fair amount of time ago um, where uh, Russ was looking pretty well. Um, So Russ was a very good man. I know some of you here knew him. Um, he grew up in western North Dakota. Um, you know, one of the things that I am so grateful for is that when I was going through my struggles um, in my early recovery journey, which was not easy, um, they were supportive, um, and they gave me room to kind of work it out and figure it out. And, um, it, I, you know, they were, it's just amazing to have people like that in your life, if you've known that. Uh, to be true. We can be grateful for that. Um, Those two people were married 67 years. It's a lot of years. Um, 67 plus years. Uh, Russ uh, spent four years in the Navy. Um, He was then a school teacher and became a high school counselor in Mandan, North Dakota. Beth would say he was the best counselor in the school, but she's a little biased. Um, he, uh, I know him more um, as someone who um, loved to hunt and fish and uh, loved vehicles, um, loved to tinker, was a handyman, um, and he was an excellent woodworker. And we have um, in our home several pieces of furniture that he had built uh, that are pretty important to us now. Um, so they had lived um, all the years I knew them in Bismarck, Mandan. Um, but about eight and a half years ago, they moved here to Fargo. Um, Beth's brothers live in the Twin Cities, and they wanted to be a little closer to family and knew that maybe we could um, give some assistance as they were aging. And 
Um, you know, already when they moved here, we knew that they were aging. Um, they were both 80 at that point, or close to 80. And, um, you know, they had come to our church regularly up until maybe close to a year ago. Um, so they were part of this church family. They were often at this service, so many of you um, had had a chance to meet them and got, get to know them. Uh, they were part of the Lighthouse family. Um, Russ, um, a few years ago, was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. And um, we had seen um, lots of change, especially in this last year. Um, and uh, especially in these last few months, um, obviously what he had developed rapidly. Um, about a little over a year ago, they had moved to Bethany on South 42nd into assisted living. And a few weeks ago, um, Russ had fallen and fractured his lower back. And uh, he declined very rapidly since. Um, in fact, um, you could see it every day. There was a change. Um, just, uh, I think it was two weeks ago yesterday, um, literally assisted living could not handle things anymore. So he went to the hospital. And uh, he was in the hospital about four or five days. And then um, he, that following Wednesday, he moved to the nursing home at Bethany on South 42nd, uh, which was really um, a gift that we had that he and she could be in the same building uh, in the last week of his life. But he wasn't, yeah, he wasn't there very long. Um, he was there for about a week in the nursing home. Uh, he had gotten on hospice the day before he died. So he was on hospice one day. So um, what I wanted to tell you um, is that on Tuesday... Uh, this week, um, I worked, and then I went over to the nursing home um, kind of in the early evening uh, to pay a visit. Beth was already there. And when I walked into the um, nursing home room, uh, this, was, this was fairly typical of Jan. You don't get a, hi, how are you? Thanks for coming. Um, you get an order. Um, and... Uh, <laughs> And, um, but here was the order. Um, I walked into the room and she said, um, tell him that he can go. And he had been non-responsive all day and that was kind of becoming kind of the norm. And um, so I sat down and we visited for, for some time. But then um, I went over to the bed and um, I told him, Russ, um, you can go. It's time to go home. And um, I, you know, I know that's hard to do, but uh, there, we reach a time sometimes. Chances are many of us will be at that place someday. And uh, I've, I've had other families ask me to do that. It's kind of what pastors sometimes do. Um, but this time I was the pastor and the son-in-law. But I said, Russ, um, it's, it's okay if you go now. We want you to go. Uh, to be with Jesus. And I, I've kind of learned over the years to maybe share a little bit about what they might be able to expect. I don't know for sure. Um, but I suspect that um, when we go, if we know Jesus, we'll be greeted by him pretty quickly and maybe see some loved ones. And that we very quickly, I believe, will experience, you know, kind of a new body um, and a new mind that, um, that Russell had to look forward to. So I said, um, you could go. Um, here's what you need to, here's what I think you can expect. 
And then I said, I'm going to pray with you. And uh, this, was the, this was the interesting. I mean, he'd really not done anything all day, and he folded his hands. So he could, he could hear us. And I prayed um, that the Lord would take him home. And we thanked God for his life. And then at about 2.30 the next morning, uh, Wednesday morning, he passed away. So God answered um, our prayers, and he's in a better place. Um, I wanted to tell you that, um, partly because it's just real for me right now, um, certainly real for my wife and my family. Um, but sometimes when you go through experiences like this, I think it's also important for us to talk about it because, um, you know, some of you are new here today, but some of you are not. Um, uh, this is a family here. And when you're in a family like this, we do life together, right? But we also do death together. It's kind of how it goes. This is life and death stuff that we deal with. And uh, I, just, uh, I wanted to tell you that, um, you know, not only just so that you could kind of share a little bit of what we've gone through, but I know that this season is difficult for lots of people because of the losses that we've had. And I want to tie it um, to what we've talked about today because um, I don't want it to be lost on you. Behold, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Word became flesh or human, and he made his home among us. Christmas time can be a difficult time to lose a loved one, but it's also a season of promise. It's a season of hope. It's a season of new life, and it is a season of the promise of eternity. That means forever with Jesus when he is in our hearts. That promise is for you, it is for me, it is for Russ, and today we thank Jesus for all of his gracious gifts. Amen.